We are ready enough to note the faults of others, while all the time unconscious of our own. Luigi Pirandello, one, no one, and one hundred thousand. It's a lovely introduction. Um, so that was a quote, obviously, from uh, the book which you just referenced um, by Luigi Pirandello, uh, one, no one, and one hundred thousand. Um, a very poignant quote as well. Um, yeah. What did you, so obviously just for anyone who's, well, this is our first podcast, so we'll briefly explain what we're going to do. Um, so we're reading, um, books that have been recommended to us or that we've sort of spotted along the way in our journeys and, uh, just figured that we'd read them, see, see what they're all about and, and, um, have a, have a chat yeah exactly have a chat about it and see what we thought so uh obviously we've both read the book um what are your sort of first impressions well i think we should we can discuss obviously the uh the premise if you want first yeah i think uh, but also just i suppose to give it some context right so Perandello sure. was an italian playwright yep who wrote the novel in 1926 over, I think it was over five years Mm. or seven years. Um, And coincidentally, his wife uh, was put into an insane asylum uh, for the last two years of, before the book was published. Wow. Which, which is poignant when you consider the, the actual nature of the book. Yeah. Uh, but it's a 1926 novel, which was published in 1933. Um, and it, it's written that it synthesizes the themes and personalities that illuminate such dramas as six characters in search of an author. Mm. So the whole, and then the, that's another book um, by Prandello. So the whole book starts where Ventangelo Moscada, who is the main protagonist, he loses his reality, quote unquote, when his wife cavalierly informs him that his nose tilts to the right. Mm. And suddenly he goes through this realization that he looks completely different or he's he's perceived completely differently by other people, by yeah. everyone around him. Because he, he never notices his own disfigurement, as he calls it. Yeah, yeah. And then consequently, his identity is evanescent. Right, it's based purely on the shifting perceptions of those around him. Essentially, he becomes theoretical, doesn't he? Because he's he uh, tries to envision himself as his perceived reality rather than his own. Yeah. So he's so his 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 one is him. Yep. But then he's simultaneously he's without one. Yeah, because there isn't an objective one, which is no one. And inside him, to the world, there's a hundred thousand other selves that live within him. Yes, and and they're the perceptions of himself from everyone else. Yes, yeah. So, and then in a crazed search for an identity, this is all from Goodreads. And in a, in a crazed search for an identity, independent of others' preconceptions. Moscada careens from one disaster to the next and finds his freedom, even as he's declared insane. Mm. Um, what, what did you? I mean, we, we discussed this before the before, before the recording, and I found it a tough read. I must admit. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I. Um, yeah. Like you. Like you said, we we did discuss it not at length, but it. It was probably one of the most difficult books, given that it's only what two hundred and twenty pages. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things I've ever re- uh, read. Um, and and you like fantasy, right? So you you've yeah, read, yeah, you've read the Tolkien opus, yeah. and I mean, I thought the Cimmerillion was hard. You know, that's a hard book, but this is. I think just because of the way that it's written, because I know you agree with me on this, it's it's almost written, apart from the narrative, 
it's written in like a stream of consciousness and it's like having someone else in your head battling your own personal narrative if you, if you have a personal narrative it's it's so hard to actually sit down and concentrate and really power through this book because it, whilst it's addictive it's also it's almost overwhelming like you have to take it in sort of bite-sized chunks do you, do you would you agree I, I think you know what would be really good i i definitely agree with what what you said about how it's it's multiple personalities inside your mm. brain reading at the same time yeah. because that's how that's how it reads but you know what i think it would be really good as an audiobook yeah 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 because obviously you could attribute different voices to it um and then you could really get the perception of his his sort of personal dilemma of his self basically because he loses his identity and at the same time, he takes on a hundred thousand identities. I mean, um, you know, there's obviously sort of the first couple of chapters where he he's in this delusion and he conducts an experiment to try and catch himself in the mirror being someone else. And, you know, you, you can see his sort of descent into madness. Um, and I think it would be very, very poignant as, a, as an audio book. That would be great. Um, but you know, I, I did find it a tough read and, um, it thoroughly enjoyable because I think there's so many things to take away from this book. You know, it, it's relatable. It really is. Um, because it kind of hints on the truth, doesn't it? Like, you know, we are different people for different people. Um, people's idea of us is unique to them as our idea of ourselves is unique to us. Um, and it, you know, it's, 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 you know, I can't believe I've never heard of it before because it is genius. It is a genius piece of literature. Um, and it deserves much higher accolades. I know, you know, Luigi Pirandello is a Nobel prize winner and for literature. literature. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, for, for such a high accolade, you know, how many people do you know who have read this book? And I would well, almost consider it staple reading, personally. I think, I think there's a lot of books. I couldn't name you one book apart from, obviously, uh, this one. Even yeah. though I'm not sure he did win it for for this book, but no. I can't name you one book that is that has won a Nobel Literature Prize. No, and if, well, that's something that perhaps you know, as a as a, a book based podcast, perhaps we should be a little bit more up up to date on those <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah but look let's let's discuss some of the some of the key themes right throughout this whole yep. thing sure so we've got one written down which is uh, the first one is the idea of outsider what do you mean by that what does yeah. that mean to you so for me what i took away from that was the outsider is all of the personalities that exist for him but not inside him mm. and he wants to observe himself as the outsider he wants to see himself through a stranger's eyes um and i think that was really well summed up with and i know i told you about this bit that i really enjoyed so there's a, a very small bit where he's talking about seeing a stranger in something reflective you know like a, a, a mirror or a pane of glass and you don't see yourself, but you see the stranger. And the stranger doesn't see himself or herself, but sees you. And so you, you know, it's almost like you're looking in the mirror and seeing someone else. And I thought that was a very, very clever little nod to what he's trying to achieve. Because ultimately, as an outsider, he's trying to perceive himself as someone else would see him. Is that, is that what you took away from that? Yeah, I think I think he's uh, and he actually writes about this, doesn't he? He he writes a, a scene where Muscada, after after he is told by his wife that his nose is a bit crooked, and he kind of locks himself in his room. Yeah, and he tries to capture himself as he describes it. Yeah, but he realizes that he can't because the mirror shows a mirror image. Yes. It will never so show his true self 
as exactly. it Exactly. And even if, like current technology, you, you can you, you can switch your front camera and you can reverse it so that it shows you as you are rather than the, the mirror image of yourself. But yeah. even then, you're still looking at something that is translated by a computer that then is looked back at you. Yeah. So that whole point of... And if you think about how a lot of people, especially teenagers, feel like they're misunderstood, right? that, that no one really understands them. And I think that's partly because... Partly it's because teenagers can't... They don't, they don't have the life experience or the vocabulary to really describe what they're feeling. Yeah. And, and what, what they're thinking. So that, that makes people misunderstood. But mm-hmm. also I think it is because you're projecting a rebellious side to your parents. You're projecting, um, um, let, let's say, an emotional side to your friends. You're projecting a confidence side to your friends. So there isn't anyone really that can understand you. So you, no wonder there's a lot of young people in the world who feel very trapped in themselves and that's how he describes it yes it's like he is trapped in himself and he he goes on throughout the book he got his whole journey is to try and go on and dispel what he perceives as the perception of others of him yeah so he tries to yeah he tries to sort of blow away their perceptions of himself which is kind of relatable in a way but also you know it is madness um, because there there are scenes where he ends up talking to himself, but he's actually talking to the perception of himself that he thinks the the person perceives him as, whoever he's yeah. in the room with. Um, uh, but you know this, you know, like we said, you know, this book goes so deep. It goes for you know from just like the outset. You know, you can read it with uh, you know. In, in a very easy manner and you can just think it's a book about madness but you know when you start thinking about the terms like for example the idea of the outsider you know what is the outsider who is the outsider when you start like you know digging down into these sort of philosophical ideas you realize just how deep um this book actually goes um and i i find that i i I'm still just blown away by it. I I think about it a lot, actually. Um, Do you, do you understand, do you get the idea of the outsider? Like, does that, can you relate to that? Yeah, for sure. I I I think everyone can once they sit down and think about it. Yeah. Because you're not the same person with your parents as you are at work. Yeah. Equally, you're not the same person to your friends as you are to the other two personalities that you adopt when you're with your parents and when you're at work, equally when you go to the bar, equally when you go to a restaurant, when, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think it's, it's definitely relatable. I think what's scary is actually how relatable it is. I think, Mm. I think you realize that actually you don't know your true self and I don't think you ever will. No. And I think that's what he's he kind of he kind of gives up in the end. You know, he's 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 declared uh, bankrupt because his um He liquidates the bank, doesn't he? Yeah, he liquidates the bank, but so initially he wanted to liquidate the bank to he's a banker by the way. So he he comes from a very rich family, right? His dad was a banker yes. who set up this bank. Yeah. He inherited it after yeah. the father died, but Along with the bank, he got his father's two advisors, one who is the bank manager and one who's the lawyer. Mm. And Mascada, for most of his life, up until that moment when he realizes that, when he comes to all these realizations, he doesn't really think about these things. He lives a very, from what I understand, a very easy life where he has a, by all accounts, a beautiful wife. He has a, His mm-hmm. wife has a dog that he, that he walks on the street. And he sits on a on a construction site, as he describes it, and he just sits on the rocks, and the dog goes around and you know get, gets the exercise. But he, once he has this realization, he starts to go on this journey of um, like like we said, he, he he goes on a journey of trying to play off the perceptions of him against 
the people that perceive him as such. So his wife yeah. has a, a certain perception of him and he shows her the opposite side of that perception, um, which yeah. becomes tragic in the end. And he calls it his experiment, doesn't he? He tries to, like you said, yeah. he tries to he tries to dissipate and yeah. he tries to trick people, doesn't he? He, he? he thinks that he goes in with his, you know, defences up and then he tries to trip people up with like a counter-attack of who he really is. Yeah. So he starts insulting people. He, he brings up um, the, I think it's the bank manager's um, wife who is, I think she's in a mental hospital, which yeah. is obviously pertinent to his situation at the time as well, I would have thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he then, the journey then goes on to the, he goes up to a point where he's like, right, everyone thinks that I'm, um, that I'm this um, greedy banker. Yeah. A user, so, a user, he calls himself, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to liquidate the bank. So I don't have the, this moniker, this, this perception yeah. of me by other people. Mm. But when he starts to liquidate the bank, because of the previous actions that he has done, where he insults someone's wife, which is very out of character, according to um, the bank manager, and you know he starts to um, talk what looks like, what sounds like, and looks like crazy. He starts to have crazy conversations with his wife about perceptions, about how people see him when he never raised these things before. And once he liquidates the bank he has a fight with his wife yeah. because she can't understand why he's doing what he's doing. And mm. also the wife's dad. So his father-in-law's money is also in the bank. So obviously if you liquidate the bank, it becomes an issue for anyone that's invested in it. Mm. Um, so the wife and the bank manager, they get together and they conspire to call him mentally unstable, which means that he can't yeah. liquidate the bank and which means that he has to then um, surrender the control of the of the bank and the monetary side of things to the wife and, and the bank manager. But whilst doing that, he needs to prove to the church, which is um, at the time of you know the, the writing is is the authority on all things. Mm. I suppose psychological, sociological, etc. He needs to convince the church that he is not crazy, and he convinces mm. them. Yeah, um, and then this incident happens with uh, his wife's friend, who shoots him, and he tries to protect her because he falls in love with her. Mm. And basically, everyone says, "Look, the, the the church tells him, look, we can't declare you mentally fit because someone shot you." and you're protecting her. So what we're going to do is you're going to donate all of your money that you've liquidated and build a, um, like a, a home, an institution for the homeless yeah. where you, they'll be given food and they'll be given clothes. And Moscada then becomes one of those people that lives in the homeless shelter. Yeah. And he kind of, it's at that time when he loses everything and he's sort of alone with his thoughts and no one will talk to him because they all think he's crazy and, you know, he doesn't have any, um, he doesn't have any work or any career that he needs to look after. He's kind of by himself. So he's almost mm. isolated to a point where he now is with the person that he knows and the person yeah. that he thinks is the self instead of the outsider. Yeah. So he, yeah, yeah. he goes to a very extreme length to understand who he is. Mm. But I think the book ends on a point where actually he, he still doesn't know. He thinks he knows. Um, and like, you know, our second point was does perception of you by others limit your freedom of expression? I think that's what he realizes is the way that people perceive you it curtails your own expression you don't feel like you can be very straightforward at work mm. you don't feel like you can be very straightforward with your partner if something has happened um 
so it limits your expression in that perspective but also it limits your freedom because there's all sorts of social um you know like the social cues and social etiquette that, that you need to follow which mm. curtails your freedom of expression and i think that's what he falls into when he insults the guy's wife when he uh, shouts at his wife when he obviously he shouldn't do that but he feels like there's this all these sides that people don't know about him yeah because he feels like he has to be a he has to be this hus- loving husband and cute yeah. husband that he is to his wife. But he feels like he has to be put into a box, doesn't he? I mean, when he's walking down the street, he says he just gets an urge, you know, where people would look at him. He gets this urge instead of being who he thinks they think he should be. He wants to just stick his tongue out and and show them that he isn't who they think he is. And he wants to show that he can't be put into this box and labelled and then just that's it, that's that's your identity do, do, you, do you do you do you agree with that? Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting how he hits the nail on the head with the fact that social cues and, and etiquette and behaviour accepted behaviour put you into a mould where if you go against the grain you are deemed as crazy Mm. extreme example but if you were to walk around in your speedos into a restaurant you wouldn't be allowed in people would think you're crazy yeah because you're not adhering to the social norm exactly so the it's a very it's so multidimensional this book and it reads yes and from what I've read from other people some people read it as a comedy some people read it as a tragic tragedy some people Mm -hmm. read it as a drama some people read it as a philosophical script um yeah and it's interesting it's the clever side of it like like we discussed the clever side of it is you read it as you perceive it yeah if you perceive it to be a tragedy that's how you will read it to the end yeah because it is it is that to you if that's how you will regarding yeah. it then that's fine and that's but like you said interestingly if that's your reality and that's your take on it then that's what it is you're not wrong for thinking that but even as a reader you perceive him in a certain way yes some people perceive him as as, as, a, as a mental patient who is slowly going crazy i perceive I've... him more as a man who's lost yeah and whose whose eyes are are open to this idea of self and others. And he's kind of, he gets to a point where he doesn't want to care. Yeah. Um, he's a bit like Neo in the Matrix, isn't he? He's beyond the veil. He's gone past the point and he can sort of see the machinery behind it, you know? I think um, I, I found it really quite relatable because. I agree that there are, there is no true you. Um, in the same sense, every you is true to to a certain uh, extent, you know. Because obviously, this brings up to the theme that we wanted to talk about: um, what is self, basically, you know. So, but, but I don't think know. it is because we will judge people based on the information that is fed to us via media. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Pick, pick an example. Um, Mason Greenwood was considered a god. Yes. For United fans, uh, Manchester United. This is, and he obviously, the, the, that that perception of him as a young, hungry striker was the perception that everyone got. Mm. But then, what happened in recent weeks? is that he was accused of a lot of very egregious actions and suddenly that tide has changed. So yes. as well as people basing their interaction, their, their perception of you via interaction, it's also your images, your, your perception is shaped by what other people will, will say to other people about you. So, Yeah, of you, course. But you, I think... It- 
Sorry, go on. No, no, go on. I was just going to say that I think it ties in quite nicely with, because obviously this book talks about reality as well. So if you want to go from like a really sort of philosophical perspective, you know, if let, let's take Mason Greenwood, for example, before any of his thousands of fans and, you know, even maybe some of his friends, I mean, we're, we're, we're hypothesizing here, but let's just say his fan base, his fan base see him as he is, which is, you know, a, a young kid who's you know, good at football up and coming in a, in a, in a really big club and, you know, plays his heart out for his team in, in those people's realities. He is that person. So, it's not untrue because, you know, if, if we take reality as unique to each individual, then, you know, that it kind of is true that he's this, you know, X, Y, and Z. But we don't know the precursor. We don't know what's going on in someone else's reality. So it's, it's, it's really interesting because it almost sort of opens up. I mean, this might be a bit of a stab in the dark, but it's... It's almost like um, like multi-dimensional realities, you know, where in one reality he's this and in another reality he's that. And then, you know, when the truth comes out, those realities merge and one comes out on top. But I think this is where we kind of fall into the whole issue of mass information and fake news and... Mm-hmm. I think your realities I think what this book shows is that your reality is very much subjective. Oh yeah. Yeah. I yeah. don't think I don't think you ever do get the merging because you know, when on January sixth in the in um the States when it looked like Trump supporters were invading the Capitol building and they were smashing things up and, you know, doing all sorts of things. Yeah. At the same time, there will be some people who will be saying, Oh no, these are just freedom fighters. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. So those two never merge. They just coexist in the same space. Very true. And, and, And I think this is why it's so difficult. I think this is why you, he puts it so poignantly that you do struggle with the perceptions of other people because you almost have to play up to them. And I think that's where a lot of mental health issues start to arise because what you perceive as your reality, which is, let's say, you're just a normal guy who likes to chill out at home. Mm -hmm. But then your... you're really fun at parties and people then expect you to always be fun outside of parties. Yeah. So then you have to almost take this role of a sad clown where you have to be fun, but inside you might be struggling. Yeah. And I think that's where the issues lie. Really. I think a lot of it is when you have this, you have to live up to this perception. And I think that's that's what Muscada does, is he he actually goes against the grain. He doesn't want mm-hmm. to live up to that perception. He wants to change the perception of him. For what reason? It's kind of trivial. He just wants to experiment. Yep. But that experiment goes very far, too far. Well, rather beautifully, you've actually brought us on to another theme that we wanted to discuss, which we found in the book, which is free will. So I think I think you've 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 stumbled on you've, well you've come into the, the another realm which is free will which is something that you touched on there and I I, I think that's another valid um, discussion to have about this book because do you think how do you think that this book addresses free will? It almost shows you that there isn't any, right? I, th- I think as humans, we want to think that we have more agency over our actions and choices than we do. Yes. If you think about it, everything is chosen for us. Everything, well, exactly. You know, the, the food we eat has been grown and put into the shelves that we then buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, this perception of choice 
is almost false because you're buying predetermined products. Mm. Yes, there are maybe six different cleaning detergents, but those six are the only six that you can buy. So the choice has already yeah. been made. You're just choosing within those six where you, where you, which way you're going to go. And most of the times, those six choices are cost-based. So there'll be a cheap one, there'll be a medium one, and there'll be a really expensive one, and then variations of the expensive mm-hmm. one. Yeah. But if you look, if you dig deeper, most of those brands are owned by one company. Yeah. So, so they're just creating an illusion or saying, you know, people will think you're you're really rich and posh if you buy this one. But if you buy this one, then you'll be perceived as you know, a skinflint. And if you buy this one, you'll be perceived as average. Well, put put, put it this way, right? So people think, ah, oh, you know, I'm doing really well because I've just bought a VW Golf. Equally, someone mm. will go, you know what? I'm doing really well because I just got a I just bought a Bugatti Veyron. Yeah. Same parent company. It's still Volkswagen Group. Mm. Or someone someone buys a Porsche and thinks, you know what, I'm doing really well. But and if you're one, appeals, from the same one, source, one appeals to another. But if you're buying from the same source, doesn't doesn't matter. I, I think I think that what what brands have what companies have realized is actually perception is all that matters. Right? Mm. People will buy yep. a, £200,000 car because not because it drives better most of the time it's just because the perception is that you are richer yeah I don't think um, a Mercedes C-Class drives any worse than let's say um, a Bentley Continental there'll be some differences sure but overall it gets Mm, you from mostly aesthetic yeah but it gets you from yeah. A to B. But this perception of sure. driving a Bentley, being rich, driving a Mercedes, you know, middle class, driving a mm-hmm. VW, also middle class, but driving like a, a Skoda is perceived. Like this this is where it's branding is also quite, I suppose, clever in that they place, like VW Group, place by marketing and branding certain cars and certain brands into certain brackets so you could actually Mm. still ultimately give money to the same company but you're buying uh let's say you start off with uh uh, you start off with a vw polo and then you get a bit more money so you buy an audi a4 you get more money so you buy a porsche and then you get more money and then you buy a bentley and then you get a bit more money and you buy a veyron but ultimately, mm. you're still paying the same company. Yeah. Right? To a point where a VW Passat parts can fit into a Bentley car, or they used to anyway. Mm. So I think this perception and, and this, this perception of free will is actually quite an interesting one because I realized that actually a lot of it is absolute bollocks. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but but you're living. You're living a life where your choices, as a society, I suppose we've chosen that. Where you're living a life where your choices in clothes, in food you eat, car you drive, determine your standing, your perceived standing in the society, i.e., mm-hmm. are you important or are you not important? But if you look at a lot of a lot of very, very rich people, they they operate on a completely different plane. Yeah. Yes, they buy branded stuff, of course they do. But how many how many people do you actually see traveling with uh, I'm talking like billionaires, multimillionaires, traveling with Louis Vuitton luggage or you know, they they buy things that will ultimately change their life. They'll buy a plane because it means they can, they don't need to wait for a ticket. They can get on a plane, get from A to B, not mm-hmm. an issue. People who buy 
and I don't, don't get me wrong, I'm completely in, in in this camp. I think you get to once you get to a point where you can buy, because I, I got to this point, I could buy a Louis Vuitton bag, but then when it got to it, mm. I was like, do I? Why do I need it? Yeah. Why do I want it? What is it for? Is it? Are you yeah. buying for me, or am I buying to portray this perception of me of being successful, of being wealthy, of being blah blah? blah. But actually, until you have a billion in a bank, or even let's go even further, until you own an asset that's completely debt free, yeah, you're not considered wealthy. No, if you're living paycheck, if you if you're earning five thousand pounds, right, which is a lot, uh, five thousand pounds a month, it's, it's about what is it? It's about um, Seven, six, six and a half, seven thousand dollars a month net yep. after mm-hmm. tax. But if you're spending three thousand pounds on your rent, a thousand pounds on your bills, and a thousand pounds eating out, you're living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And I think this is this is where this perception of wealth is quite skewed. And this perception of free will, I think a lot of people think that they are making the choices that they want to have, that they want to to do themselves, right? So I want to go to university because I choose to. Well, no, yeah. society dictates that you should because otherwise mm. you don't get a good job. Yeah. I'm choosing accountancy because I want to. No, most of the time it's because you want a secure job that is going to be recession proof and it's always required like a doctor or a dentist or an accountant etc etc so i think this idea of free will is kind of it's a false illusion which is the whole nature of this book the whole the whole meaning of this book is false illusion well interestingly it is and it's it also addresses uh, materialism doesn't it because yeah, he ultimately yeah. decides that the bank doesn't define him and money doesn't define him. Yeah. Um, and he's almost, he's almost breaking free from the shackles of this, this made-up social construct that we find ourselves in today. And it's, it's relatable to today because, you know, you see people and the big, the smartphone war, you know, what are you a Samsung guy or an iPhone guy or... Or you're a bit off piste and you're a I don't know, like a a, a Google phone guy or something. The stupidest um, the stupidest arguments, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 how we sort of you know, people put themselves into these funny little boxes and I think I think this book really addresses that and like you know, I really like it from the materialistic point of view because he tries to sort of shed all of these preconceptions about himself by saying you know the like i said you know the bank doesn't define me and my house doesn't define me and my wealth isn't who i am that was my father's wealth and i'm not my father and i think it's all so so relatable you know i I can i can really associate with this character on, on a lot of different levels um and i think um I, I think it's really really beautiful it's hard like you said it's hard hard to read because it's it's so profound and it's so deep and it, it questions so much and it makes you think about things that you hadn't even thought about. I mean, maybe you thought about them on the surface, like, you know, maybe you understand the, you know, the boxes that people put themselves in, you know, iPhone guy or Samsung, whatever. Um, and it makes you, oh, it certainly made me sort of look at it. And, and like you said, like I'm getting a Louis Vuitton bag, but why? Like, it's no different to a Nike bag or a Sainsbury's bag, you know, you know, whatever. It's it doesn't define you. It doesn't mean that you're wealthy. It all it means is that you're trying to portray this image. So you're actually playing into the story that humanity has written itself with the social constructs. And this book proves that they're just not important. Or it I mean, certainly he, argues that it's not important. Yeah. I mean, he, he goes above and beyond. Mm. I, I wouldn't liquidate my assets and savings 
to feel free. I think feel... it's beautiful, though. I think that's actually really beautiful because when he talks with the uh, the guy in the the um, uh, the prelate, he calls him, doesn't he? The guy that he bumps into and he talks to um, at the end of the book, and he says um, he realizes, you know, that that guy is no one to no one. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. And I think it's almost like, uh, can you see? I don't know if I'm going out on a limb here, but when he sacrifices all of that, do you think that there's like a a little hint of Christianity in there? You know, like um, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, like so Jesus obviously given his life up for the sins of everyone else, so he gives everything up for this maybe for the sins of himself as a sort of recompense. Yeah, yeah, that's in, that's an interesting angle. But it's self-sacrifice, isn't it? Like you said, he goes mm. he goes above and beyond, but he does more than that. He 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 sacrifices himself. He but puts he also, himself on the know, cross, and he and he he ends up using his money, although forced, but he still ends up using his money to build a, a homeless shelter. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting take. I mean, look, I I think it's. I think it's a great book. I think people should read it. I can understand if people will pick it up and put it down mm-hmm. and then pick it up again and put it down. I think it's split into something like eight books. Yes. Uh, which which are really chapters, but eight chapters. And he... Um, you, you kind of... You read a chapter or you read a few sub-chapters, sections, and you have to put it down and think and i must admit there were some parts of it which because it's written like a stream of consciousness interspersed with a bit of dialogue mm. you kind of get lost yeah so when he talks about his father for example i kind of ended up skim reading a lot of that um yeah. but it's it is a great book and i think if you are ever I think if you're ever in a position where you want to really think about reality, perception, the self, I think it's a really good book to read because yeah. it's, it doesn't tell you. It, it's, it's not like a it's like a nonfiction book that tells you because it is a fiction novel. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a book that tells you. A, what to think or how to think or what the latest scientific or philosophical breakthroughs are. Or how to get rich quickly. Yeah, it, it kind of just tells you a story that you can then adapt to your to your own line of thinking or your own life. You can, you can there's so many similarities because what he goes through, I think everyone went through it at least once. Or there'll be a revelation where you think, Jesus, that's yeah, I I am different. I was talking to a friend about this and he was saying, I want to merge my work and my parents and my friend's persona into one. And I kind of said, but is that, is that even possible? Because you're going to start being very transactional with your girlfriend but Mm. you're going to be very friendly with your co-workers and you, but like not friendly as in just pally but like going deep into conversation about their wants and needs and life choices etc i think Mm. the reason why the different selves exist serves a purpose for the purpose of that um for for whatever situation that you're in i think you have to be a certain persona at work because otherwise nothing gets done equally you know your persona at work will change the higher you progress in the company Mm mm-hmm and to want to merge those personalities, I think, is kind of, it's almost impossible. I don't, I don't think it is possible. Oh, well, I think it's also unnatural. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, we behave this way for a reason. I mean, people, you know, they, they might go on the far end of the spectrum and say we've been programmed to behave like this because of marketing and 
and social constructs and school and all this, that and the other. But like, I, I don't think it would be conducive to to your relationships if you weren't those different people. Like, I couldn't be... I couldn't be my professional self to my partner because what would be the point of that? She doesn't, you know, I'm gay. <laughs> that's, well, that's not homophobic. <laughs> you, um, you can cut that. You can my cut girlfriend. That. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I, I just don't think it's conducive. I don't think that you can be, like I said, you can't be like, you wouldn't want to be the person at work that you are on the podcast, for example, because it wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't be this philosophical at work. You wouldn't stand around with the people that you have to talk to about, you know, money. You wouldn't then start yeah. talking to them about your your theories behind what wealth is and how wealth is perceived. And I'd wear a berry, though. I mean, that's fine, because that would just add into the, you know, the, the preconception of what they probably already have about you. Pretentious. Sure. sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think ultimately, like you said, I, I, I would, I would say that this book is essential reading, but it's not, you don't need to read it all in a hurry. Like you, you can't, you can't digest it all. There's yeah. too much. I was going to say, I, I think, yeah, you should read it for sure. But I don't think, even if you wanted to, I don't think you could read it all in one sitting. I mean, it's just too me heavy. and you, we're, too... we're prolific readers. We read a lot of books. And this is a short book. And I struggled. Yeah. Really, really struggled. It was hard. I, yeah. I think I've read a Game of Thrones book faster. Easier, though, isn't it? Cheaper. Yeah. In terms of literature, ah, this is it though. Like, do you know what? I've been talking to people about this book and saying, you know, I love it. I do love it, but it's 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 just the depth that it goes into is is just insane. Like, you you just can't mentally digest all of those ideas. I mean, he must have been unbottling to the point where we couldn't even imagine how he felt writing this down. Well, it must have felt like he's put part of himself into this book. It, and I think he did, right? It took him five five or seven years to write it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it shows, right? Because it, it's yeah. it, it it's kind of it, it's written like it reads. It takes a yes. long while to digest it. Yeah. But also his wife, like I said, in, in the last two years of him writing this before publishing, his wife went into a mental institution. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of that. That happens and it's I don't know, it's you're right. You can see his struggles. You can see his own personality. You can see his own questions about the self coming out in here. Yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's definitely worth a read. I think it's definitely something that people should should read and i think it will help a lot of people to realize actually to ask the pertinent questions about themselves and to realize mm. without it being a self-help book i think it will make a lot of people think about what it is that they value in life and what it is that they want to por- portray in life and release to 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 the outside world yeah um yeah all right cool so out of 10 what are you giving it i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a nine it's, it's a fucking a nine. It's a fucking smashing book, it, mate. It was a belter. I, I uh, yeah, really I mean, highly recommend it. I I could read it every year, and every year my perception of that book will change, which is yes. again very clever, right? Because that whole book is about perception. Yeah, exactly. Like you said at the beginning, you can perceive it as a comedy, and it is one. A tragedy, and it is one. Or you can see it as like a self-help book, and it is one because you can't be wrong. You can pick any of these multi-facets, and you yeah, you can read really. it in, from different perspectives, and you're right. Yeah. I mean, fuck, you could even read this in a psychology class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the descent of a man into madness. You know, it's insane. I, I, th- I think it's insane. I, I, oh, racist. I think I. I think I actually stumbled upon this book because I did stumble upon it. 
I was I was going through Reddit. I think it was Reddit, and mm. I was reading um, a post about reality and perceptions of reality, whether mm-hmm. we hallucinate reality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And someone said, "Read this book because it's." asks but also answers a lot of questions and they got it right it's an absolute belter yeah i love it i think i think it's good i think it's good that you know we have a book club that we just discuss stuff about the stuff that we read what's the next book uh what did we say where's waldo (laughs) bambi um didn't we say A Man's Search for Meaning? Oh, yeah, another heavy book. Um, a favourite, I can imagine, of Tom's because it talks about Nazi Germany. <laughs> yeah, by the way, uh, we didn't actually introduce ourselves on Tom and uh, my co-host, Dimitri. I'm part German. Dimitri likes to throw that in my face with fascism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're a no holds barred. We should have done this at the beginning, but we're no holds barred. So you know you can expect some swearing and some profanity, and um, the occasional piece of propaganda. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, look, smashing book. I absolutely loved it. I I really loved struggling through it. Genuinely, it was a labour of love reading it. Um, I would also give it a, you know a solid nine. Difficulty, 10 out of 10, 100%. It's one of the hardest books you'll read. If you breeze through this, then you need to go back through it because you've not read it. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this. So, you know, hit us up on Twitter. Um, and just never, ever stop touching your shelf. Always touch your shelf. It's a euphemism. When I do think about books, I do touch my shelf. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed this uh, this podcast. Oh, I don't and... care. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for myself just to read more books. But yeah, if you did enjoy it, well, fair enough. Good. You've Thanks got very much. You, you don't have anything to do. But <laughs> if you didn't, then why are you listening to this for an hour? So. <laughs> well, it's goodbye from me. All right. See ya. Peace.